right, without further ado, uh, I'm going to introduce Sarah. Sarah is uh, our pastor here who is in charge of community. And I happen to be acquainted with this woman fairly intimately, let's say, as my wife. And uh, I know for a fact she's got a great message. So why don't we give it up for Sarah? What an introduction. I like that. So uh, happy second week of Advent. I've been really enjoying this Advent season. You know, I didn't learn about Advent growing up as a little kid. And so this is all new for me, and it's really exciting for me, and I'm way into it. So John and I have been celebrating. uh, We we just completed our first week of Advent. Maybe you guys have been celebrating the last week. We grabbed... uh, one of the Advent journals that we gave out last week. By the way, we have more back there if you need them. And we've started this little routine. So first thing in the morning, we, uh, after the smoothies and coffee is made, we then go into the living room, which is like two steps away from where we make the smoothies and coffee. <laughs> and we turn over the new page of the Advent calendar, and I light a candle. And then John sits in his black armchair, and I get my spot on the couch. And we separately kind of journal in our Advent journal for a few minutes. And then we blow out the candle, and then we read the New York Times. It is just lovely. We're really enjoying it. And if you haven't, I'm hoping that you're stumbling on something that you can do on a regular basis through Advent that makes this time meaningful for you. So if you don't have an Advent journal, they're back there. Feel free to grab one on your way out. If you would like to light some Advent candles at home, we have those back there. Little sets. They're just five bucks and it brings some kind of Adventy sparkle into your life. So last week, uh, Charles kicked off week one of Advent with a great sermon that was titled God in Us. And he talked about uh, how Jesus came in human form to blow up traditional religious thinking and to abolish the old covenant. And he read a powerful verse that declares, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he referenced a theologian named Dan Fuller, who said this verse is like a prophetic declaration of God's plan for human history, because no one thought like this back then. This was about the future, what God is unfolding in human history. Fuller said that God's spirit is at work in the world, first breaking down the wall between Jew and Gentile so that everybody has access to God then slave and free, and then male and female. God's working on blurring all of those lines, giving dignity to all. I love that. Christ came to us as a human being to blur the lines that divide us, and by doing so, gives dignity to all of us, each and every person without exception. And this is what excites me most about the gospel, this radical inclusion. I came across a poem recently, which is a part of a collection of poems called the Holy Sonnets that were written in the early 1600s. "'Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be made like man much more." 
done a lot of wondering about this much more business. God taking human form in the body of Christ, the incarnation. Do I really get what this means for me or my church or the city? And my wondering took me to take a look at some famous stories of Jesus in the Bible. His ministry was that of restoring dignity to people in every area of a person's life and to lead them towards increasing love. He made this purpose very clear in his passage in Luke. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Another Bible translation says, He will bring good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, release the captives, restore sight to the blind, free the downtrodden from their impressors. What an amazing mission! What an amazing purpose. Jesus is a radical. He took particular interest in those who were disenfranchised, written off by society. He gave much to those who had little, were given little, were treated as little. Restoring dignity to women, to children, to poor, to the lame, to the blind, to the sick, to those who were outcasts, to those who were untouchable. The two commandments that he called the greatest spoke of the dignity of every human being. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And when dignity is restored, it starts an interesting flow in life. When our individual dignity is restored, we are more able to love others and to build and belong to loving and life-giving community. So today is week two of Advent. Woohoo! Week one was God in us. Week two is God among us. God's image in all of us makes life-giving community possible. He hasn't just come to each one of us, but he's come to be a part of us and among us through community. I see the power of community in this verse in Matthew. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. We can be all alone and experience Jesus very personally and very directly. And it's such a good thing. And we should all aim for it. And yet there is something very special and different about doing it with others. 
So what's different about God's presence when two or more are gathered? I guess our prayers are louder. There's strength in numbers. But I also think that what's different is we get to see and experience God through someone else's eyes, through someone else's perspective, through someone else's story. And as a result, our experience of God becomes bigger and fuller. I've always been someone who loves hearing the story. As a little kid, I would get such a kick out of my parents telling me a story about when they were little. It was a jolting reminder that my old parents were once little. It kind of freaked me out, but I liked it anyway. And as I got older, my dad especially enjoyed telling me stories. And however, it seemed to whittle down to just one story that he would tell over and over and over. And I would say, Dad, you've told us that one already. And he would say, I know, I just want to tell you again. (laughs) I'd roll my eyes and just kind of sit there as he continued. But the the story that he told most often was about leaving his role as a pastor in a small church in Nebraska when he was young, recently out of college and married with two tiny kids. He had moved from Colorado to Nebraska, of all places, to pastor a fledgling church in a town called Fremont. Now, part of the reason for this motive of the move was to get out of the shadow of my grandmother, who was a respected and well-known pastor in L.A. So he decided to leave this church in Fremont, though, because he felt like he had been a failure. He had worked so hard. He didn't see any fruit. He had put all this energy and effort in by himself, restoring the church building and the parsonage, and directing a choir, even though he was not musical. He put tons of effort into youth programs and children's programs and midweek things. He even would get up early on Sunday mornings and drive the church bus throughout the town looking for people to take to church. He gave it all he had, and he felt like a failure. But in this story, my dad also talked about God showing him years later that there were good things that happened in that little church. Good things that God did while he he was there. Good things in people's life. And as a young person, I didn't quite appreciate the story. But as I got older, I've come to appreciate that story more and more. It was a story that was a defining moment of his life. He was giving me a window to get a glimpse of his inner world, of his relationship with God, an inner glimpse of how God had worked in his life. It was a story that wasn't just about his failures and disappointments, but it was also about God helping him see how he made decisions, how the need to prove himself sometimes got in the way of living life. It was a story of God showing him that he wasn't a failure, 
that his life had impact. And he told it over and over again to remind himself of what God showed him. And he told it over and over again in hopes that I would understand him better and see God's work in his life. There's stories we all need to tell. And there's stories we all need to hear. It's a valuable part of relationships and community. And as we talk about community community today, I want to touch on the bigger community we're a part of. Our brothers and sisters of faith around the world. Those who are walking with us now and those who walked before us. We're so excited about what's going on at the river. We're so excited about our unique mission and our purpose. But it's also important to hear different experiences other than our own, to glean wisdom from what was learned as they pursued a relationship with God. Eighty years ago, there was a pastor and theologian who was active in the German resistance to the policies of Hitler and Nazism. Due to his opposition in the Nazi regime, he was executed in a concentration camp. Today, his theological writings are highly regarded as classics throughout the Christian world. This excerpt we're going to read was written in 1937 in Germany during the rise of the Nazi regime. Here's Diedrich Bonhoeffer's hard-fought insights about dignity and community. And in the incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. Henceforth, any attack on even the least of humanity is an attack on Christ who took the form of humankind and in his own person restored the image of God in all that bears a human form. Through fellowship and communion with the incarnate Lord, we recover our true humanity, and at the same time we are delivered from that individualism, which is the consequence of sin, and we retrieve our solidarity with the whole human race. By being partakers of Christ incarnate, we are partakers in the whole humanity which he bore. We now know that we have been taken up and born in the humanity of Jesus, and therefore that new nature we now enjoy means that we too must bear the sins and sorrows of others. The incarnate Lord makes his followers the brothers and sisters of all humankind. Wow. The incarnate Lord makes his followers brothers and sisters of all humankind. Our shared desire for dignity transcends all of our differences. Putting common human identity above all else. And while our uniqueness is so very important, history has shown us that if we don't take the next step towards recognizing this shared human identity, that conflicts in our personal life, in our work life, and in the world abound. We all have a part to play 
as a community in the endeavor of being brothers and sisters to all humankind. Throughout the Bible, we see God form a community, a community where people find meaningful connection with God, with themselves, with others, and with the world. God's idea of restoration is community-shaped. In his incarnate life, Jesus became one of us. In fact, he became all of us in one divine human being. We're striving here to be a community focused on restoring our fragmented world through love, recognizing the call to be a source of love and peace, not just right here, but out there. So here's another story from our wider community of faith. Emmanuel Contengoli. He was born in 1960 and grew up in a very difficult context of poverty under the dictatorship of Idi Amin. He's a Ugandan priest and theologian known for his work on violence and politics in Africa and theology of reconciliation. And here's what he has to say to us about our calling as a faith community. We are called to be strange in the same way that the early Christian communities were strange to the world around them. The community in Antioch brought together Jews and Samaritans, Greeks and Romans, slaves and free, men and women in a way that was so confusing that people didn't know what to call them, so they called them Christians. The only way they knew to describe their peculiar actions was to say that they were followers of an odd preacher from Galilee. The world is longing for such new, odd, new and odd communities in our time. I pray the time is now and that the resurrection might begin with us. I pray that too. <laughs> so what we're really aiming for is to become a Jesus mini-me. Someone known for their radical inclusion, blurring the lines, spreading God's love, with abandon. Now let's listen to one more voice from the wider faith community, Jean Vanier. He's a Catholic philosopher, theologian, and humanitarian. In 1964, he founded L'Arche, which is an international federation of communities spread over 37 countries. They work, they gather together people with disabilities and the people who care for them, and they live in community. Today, at age 89, he continues to live as a member of the community in France. And here's what he's learned about dignity and community over the past 53 years. The fundamental attitudes of true community, where there is true belonging, are openness, welcome, and listening to God, to the universe, to each other, to those who are different, to the poor and the weak, Sex put up walls and barriers out of fear, out of the need to prove themselves and create a false sense of security. Community breaks down the barriers to welcome the difference. Community is the place of meeting with God. It's the place of belonging. It's the place of love and acceptance. It is the place of caring. It is a place of growth in love. Individualism leads to rivalry, competition, and rejection of the weak. Community leads to openness and acceptance of others. 
Without community, people's hearts close up and die. Amazing words. And what he has to say next is, to me, even more amazing. Because he's lived in community for 53 years, he knows a lot about the nitty-gritty of community that we all experience. We either try to avoid it or not talk about it. So I'm going to read some of his insights and just sit back and try to take it in. When people enter community, especially from a place of loneliness in a big city or from a place of aggression or rejection, they find warmth and love exhilarating. This permits them to start lifting their masks and barriers to become vulnerable. They may enter a time of communion and great joy, but then too, as they lift their masks and become vulnerable, they discover that community can be a terrible place because it's a place of relationship. It is the revelation of our wounded emotions and how painful it is to live with others. It's so much easier to live with books and objects, televisions or dogs or cats. It's so much easier to live alone and just do things for others when one feels like it. As we live with people daily, all the anger, hatred, jealousies, and fears of others, the need to dominate, to run away, or hide, seem to rise up from the wounds of our early childhood when we felt unloved or abandoned or overprotected. We begin to feel terrible anguish because people are clutching to us asking too much of us, or simply because their presence reminds us of authoritarian parents who didn't have the time to listen to us. Community is the place where our limitations, our fears, our egotism are revealed to us. So community life brings painful revelation of our limitations, weaknesses, and darkness The unexpected discovery of the monsters in us is hard to accept. And the immediate reaction is to try to destroy these monsters or hide them away, pretending that they don't exist. Or else we try to flee from community life or a relationship with others or assume that the monsters are theirs, not ours. An experience in prayer and an experience of being loved and accepted in community which has become a safe place for us, allows us to gradually accept who we are. With our wounds and all our monsters, we are broken, but we are loved. We can grow to greater openness and compassion. We have a mission. Each human being, however small or weak, has something to bring to humanity as we start to really get to know others as we begin to listen to each other's stories, things begin to change. We begin the movement from exclusion to inclusion, from fear to trust, from closeness to openness, from judgment and prejudice to forgiveness and understanding. It's a movement of the heart.
Those are wise words. And really, in a nutshell, it's a big reason why we gather together. And it's easy to lose sight of sometimes. I mean, haven't we all really wondered why we can't just stay home on Sunday in our PJs, drink coffee, and listen to the sermon online? Really, right? But I believe that God's presence is here in a special way when we gather on the 13th floor as a community. Just like that verse in Matthew, two or more gathered together, I am there. And when God's presence and our presence come together, it causes a movement of the heart. We can get insights. We can. By listening to a message online, it is a great tool. But growing in love doesn't happen at home in your PJs. It happens in community. I love this quote by Brian McLaren. If our prime contribution to humanity can be shifted from having the correct beliefs to practicing the way of love as Jesus taught, then our whole understanding and experience of church could be transformed into a school of love. That's what's happening in this room today. That's what's happening in the lobby. That's what happened earlier during River Kids. We're here to connect with God and each other and grow in love. It's powerful and it's life-changing. So we've heard from these different voices from our wider community of faith. Now we get a chance to hear some snippets from our immediate community of faith. The ad people in Colorado put together a kind of a rough draft of a video for you so that you could see an idea of the types of snippets that they got while they were here filming. They got a lot of great footage, and they said they have a lot of potential to make a lot of different things. But they wanted to put something together just really quickly so that you would get an idea of what it is they're trying to capture. So let's take a look. Growing up, we were not churchgoers. My dad was an atheist and actually, I think, hated the idea of God. And I had kind of a disillusion and disappointment with how I was experienced, how we received that church. I grew up Catholic. My family and I went to church and I went through all the sacraments. It was very structured and rules-based. When I moved to New York City, I was in the middle of a spiritual search. I'd been in a faith crisis for uh, over 10 years since uh, a divorce and since coming to terms with the fact that I'm gay. I actually grew up in church. I attended a very southern, very white, evangelical church, uh, the kind of church that doesn't allow dancing. I'm a Buddhist, but I never really actually identified fully with that. I was looking for a place that could help me reconcile those two important parts of myself. The fact that I'm gay with the fact that I really wanted a vibrant faith. I always had a faith, but um, when I came to New York, I didn't really know 
how to find a church, and I wasn't really looking for one. We had tried out three or four churches before finding the river, mm -hmm. um, none of which I think really resonated with us for various reasons. But I basically just said, if there's a God, I could use a little help. And what followed from that when I was about 21 was so astonishing. My mind and my soul have connected at a level that I've never experienced before. So when I found the river, uh, it was an enormous blessing to me, right? To find a place where I could rebuild my faith and rebuild my relationship with For me, the main thing was the community that grew on me. I decided to come one Sunday, and I really appreciated how safe the space felt and open and welcoming. A place that fully embraced me and affirmed me as an LGBT Christian. I experienced God as kinder than I thought he was. <laughs> place that I think that would be more like what Jesus really wanted a church to look like. To this day, the most meaningful relationships in my life are from the river. It's the best expression of the body of Christ that I've ever experienced. There's so many people in New York City that I feel like I'm just faced with millions of faces all the time that are people that God values and loves, and I find it inspiring to be in that setting. Everyone has to step out of their comfort zone a little bit to connect with each other. And when that connection happens, I feel like that's where heaven is created. There's great things all around us and we actually feel like God is at work in people places that you wouldn't expect him to be and so we don't have any sense of uh, threat or reluctance to engage in the culture around us in fact we love it there's a lot to gain from it we love people whoever you are and we just want to connect you to God and that's the fundamental spirit of this church from the beginning so why wouldn't we fully include LGBTQ community and say, hey, connect to God. And living God will lead you to life in all its forms. We're doing all this because we want to invite people into the opportunity to find out if the river would be a good place for them to move forward in their lives, move forward in their spiritual lives. And we are throwing the doors open and hoping that there are lots of other people that we haven't met yet who might enjoy being a part of what's happening here because we feel like it's special. So we want to invite more people into this wonderful life we're finding in Jesus. We want to create space for everyone to just connect to God so that they can experience life and all its fullness that is promised by Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I do want to clarify the jittery thing was not the ad people. It was our software. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering, wow, they're not as slick as I thought they were. <laughs>
So before uh, the worship team, or as they come up, I wanted to close with a prayer that Martin Luther King Jr. would pray for himself. And it was, use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do, and use it for a purpose greater than myself. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would use us, that you would show us how to take who we are, who we want to be, and what we can do, and that you would use it for a purpose greater than ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.